0: This is Peter Barshevskis, and you are listening to the Avalanche Hour podcast. These human biases in the hand hardness tests, and they wanted a reliable, quantitative way of measuring snow hardness without the human biases.
1: You are tuned in to another episode of the Avalanche Hour podcast, your source for great conversations within the snow and avalanche community. I'm your host, Caleb Merrill. The Avalanche Hour podcast is proudly presented by VEASAN Avalanche Control, safety through innovation. Additional support is provided by Ten Barrel Brewing and InterWest Insurance. The goal of this podcast is to create a stronger community through the sharing of stories, knowledge and news amongst people with a curious fascination of avalanches. I hope you're all doing well out there as we wander our way into February here, and I hope you're finding plenty of fresh snow under your machine or your boards, but you're also taking the time you need to recharge your batteries away from from work. Maybe that's in the backcountry, maybe it's not. I often think about how much variability exists amongst our snowpack, amongst the terrain over which our snowpack lies, and amongst our interpretations of what's happening in the snowpack. And so when Peter Barshevskis contacted me and told me about his master's research project in environmental science at the Thompson Rivers University having to do with the blade hardness gauge it piqued my interest. I've often thought that the hand hardness scale that all practitioners in the snow and avalanche field uses was a great quick tool to look at relative hardness of different layers within the snowpack. However I've often thought of limitations that this this uh hardness scale has one being the variations amongst practitioners and users in the field and so when peter emailed me um talking about some of his research investigating how the blade hardness gauge could be a promising new technology for forecasting um you know i I was all ears and i should add i heard first about the blade hardness gauge at, I believe, the Bend Snow and Avalanche Workshop several years ago um, from Dr. Chris Borstad from Montana State University as a great way to um, measure hardness of very thin layers within the snowpack. When Peter got in touch with me, I I was all ears and wanted to get him on the show to talk more about his project. So without further ado, here we go with Peter Barshevskis. All right, Peter, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing well. How are you today, Caleb?
1: Oh, I'm great. Sounds like you're up there and getting ready to get the, the ski season started up at Kicking Horse. Is that right?
0: Correct. I'm living here in Golden, British Columbia, Canada. And uh, yeah, I work as a part of the Kicking Horse Ski Patrol at Kicking Horse Mountain Resort, and we are getting ready to open. Opening day will be December 4th, and then uh, we'll have a little bit of a break and fully open from December
1: 10th onwards. Great. Well, it's always such an exciting time of year. Uh, Just getting going on the hill there. Um, Hoping you could introduce yourself, talk a little bit about your personal experiences in the winter backcountry environment, where you're from, where you grew up, and and then um, ultimately what you've been working on these days at, at Thompson Rivers University.
0: Certainly. So uh, yeah, born in uh, Toronto, Ontario, and uh, I really owe all my skiing and outdoor lifestyle to my parents, uh, Paul and Lynn, because they... Put me in a canoe when I was 13 months old and strapped skis to my feet when I was 17 months old. Did a lot of cross country skiing and downhill skiing growing up. And then my first job ever was in the ski industry. When I was 14, I was working at Snow Valley, Ontario as an assistant ski instructor and then ski instructed for about six years. uh, Also at Lake Louise Ski Area. Out west here, uh, in living in Banff. And, uh, then, yeah, kept in the outdoor adventure lifestyle. Worked as a whitewater raft guide for over 11 years out on the Ottawa River and here in Golden on the Kicking Horse River. And the other main portion of, uh, my skiing career has been working at kicking horse mountain resort as a member of their mountain safety team as a ski patroller this will be my fourth year there and then apart from just skiing and enjoying the outdoor lifestyle i focused a lot on education and post-secondary education I went to Thompson Rivers University and did my Bachelor of Science in Physics, graduating in 2016, and then I realized I didn't want to just have a standard office job. I wanted to keep living and loving being outside and working as a ski patroller, working as a raft guide, and making life happen, but I found avoid, I felt, in the avalanche industry, specifically in relation to snow hardness. And for the listeners out there, a nice definition of snow hardness is just a measure of the snow's resistance to penetration by an object. And when I did my Canadian Avalanche Association Level 1 course, I learned that the main way to measure snow hardness is using the hand hardness test, where you literally just take your hand in a glove, not a mitten, and you put that fist or four fingers or one finger or a pencil or a knife into the snowpack. And right away, I just saw it as this has human bias. Why are we doing this? This seems so rudimentary. Looking into it, yeah, this test got developed in 1950. Well, it's 2021, and I felt there was a better way for this. And that's when I got introduced to the blade hardness gauge. And uh, the blade hardness gauge is uh, a fairly new gauge that is used to quantitatively measure snow hardness without the known biases of the hand hardness test. So I was looking at that and wanted to do some research, but it's, the snow science field is, let's say, small, to say the least. Uh, I was looking at different ways to maybe get help, and then I reached out to a former professor at Thompson Rivers University, Dr. Mark Piatko, and he s- suggested doing a Master's of Environmental Science with him at thompson rivers university and so last season uh 2020-21 season was my first field season with the blade hardness gauge
1: all right so uh just a little bit of history on thompson rivers university do they have a snow science program there or is this is this kind of just uh through the i believe you said the environmental science program yeah
0: Correct. So Thompson Rivers University does not have a designated snow science program. Uh we are I am currently registered as a environmental science, but uh, it's it's really nice Thompson Rivers University, you know, it's it's uh I guess a smaller university compared to like the big ones down south, the Ivy Leagues or University of Toronto or University of British Columbia, but it's a really nice university in the heart of British Columbia. Uh in the city of Kamloops, BC. And with it being a smaller university and using that environmental science, the program is really varied. You know, we have students, uh, I'm definitely the only one doing anything with snow, but we have some folks looking at COVID. We have some folks looking at moose populations, rattlesnake populations, logging Effects and a whole broad thing. Another really neat part about Thompson Rivers University, and one reason I thought it would be good to partner with them, is they have a very large adventure guiding program. So they have kind of a almost like an undergraduate program, they have like a two year diploma, but then you can do like a four year adventure business degree as well uh adventure tourism degree and it's a great way to get people that you know didn't have parents getting them into skiing or paddling it gives people a way to get into those industries learn how to raft guide learn how to be a potential ski patroller ski guide in the future so By having that department as well, I was able to partner up with another one of my master's committee members, Dr. Ian Stewart Patterson, who is a IFMGA certified guide who works in the adventure studies program and is another really good tool and resource uh, for making this master's happen.
1: Well, it really sounds like you kind of had an idea and wanted to investigate it further, and then decided to pursue, uh, you know, a master's degree as opposed to just saying, "Oh, I want to get my master's in in environmental science," and then coming up with a topic, right? Which is which is pretty cool, especially when it has to do with something that you're so passionate about—traveling um, around in the mountains and staying out of avalanches or forecasting avalanches, I should say.
0: Exactly. It was really nice coming into this program with a desired topic. And last season, it COVID actually worked out for me because all my coursework was online. And so it let me actually stay in Golden, continue working at Kicking Horse Mountain Resort and having... This immense resources from Kicking Horse Mountain Resort with the relation to working with different avalanche technicians, being close to the mountains, getting into different snowpacks. A great part about Golden is we're kind of in this transition zone. If we go east, we're in the Canadian Rockies, true continental snowpack. Here, we're in that kind of transitional zone. But then if we go further west towards Rogers Pass, Revelstoke, BC, you start getting warmer, gain more rounded grains. And then if I did ever make the mission, I could theoretically drive eight hours to the coast and get into that proper maritime snowpack.
1: Yeah, nice positioning there. So, Peter, talk a little bit about the, the history of the blade hardness gauge Um, who developed it, when was it developed and why, Um, and maybe talk a little bit about some other research that's been done that has tried to dive into the human biases or human imperfections of the hand hardness scales.
0: Beautiful. So the blade hardness gauge was first developed uh, back in I guess 2009 to 2011, it was in 2011 that they released uh, kind of the data in the paper. And it was developed by Dr. Chris Borstad, who works out of Montana State University, who was actually a graduate student of Dr. David McClung. And Dr. David McClung really is a pioneer in Canadian snow science. And they developed it because they too saw these human biases in the hand hardness tests and they wanted a reliable quantitative way of measuring snow hardness without the human biases. So it was developed during those winters between 2009 and 2011. And at that point, it was actually called the thin blade penetrometer and it was definitely its first stage of iteration, you know, it was pretty long. It didn't hold up too well in cold temperatures, which is very important for working in the avalanche industry, because yeah, avalanches usually happen when it's pretty cold in the heart of winter. And uh, then it started getting developed by a man named Fraser Pogue who runs Fraser Instruments Limited. He is also affiliated with uh, the University of British Columbia. And he started making these devices a lot more compact, a lot more versatile. It's nice, it's simple, it's easy to like, take apart, put it in a little pouch, stuff it in your backpack, and it adds no weight. It's A small blade, it's a thin blade, it's 0.6 millimeters thick, which is about the average size of snow grain found in alpine snow. The blade is then 10 centimeters wide. It kind of comes in and out of the gauge, which is just a Newtonian force gauge, but it's uh, been insulated so that it can withstand the cold temperatures. And then when you put it into the snow, you get an actual... Newtonian force measurement versus fist. You can actually get from 0 to 50 newtons, depending on the hardness. So research with this, there still isn't a whole lot out there. Um, Back in 2011 was the original kind of numbers and papers uh, from Dr. Forsett and uh, Dave McClung kind of illustrating the introduction of this uh, gauge. And then uh, a couple, well, I guess, when Fraser Pogue started making them back in about 2015, uh, some new research started happening. Uh, Dave McClung, once again, showed that this gauge can actively measure the hardness of thin, buried, weak layers when you have that thin buried weak layer, you could then come back day after day or week after week, and then keep measuring that thin weak layer over time. Another big study with a blade hardness gauge was a Parks Canada study. Um, once again, kind of from Dave McClung, Fraser Pogue, and another uh, snow scientist named Steve Conger. Who also lives here in Golden, BC? They gave a couple of blade hardness gauge units to the avalanche technicians of Rogers Pass in Parks, Canada, a really popular ski touring backcountry area here in British Columbia. And I believe they had about 20, 27 profiles throughout the season. And they were kind of just looking at hand hardness versus the blade hardness. And from those 27 profiles with eight avalanche technicians, they were finding that the plus minus indicators of the hand hardness test don't really mean much. Uh, For the listeners out there, the Canadian Avalanche Association here, when it lays out the hand hardness, has the fist, four finger, one finger, pencil, knife, But then they also say you can have kind of a plus and minus. So it's basically like, oh, that layer is one finger. Oh, no, maybe it's one finger plus. Kind of illustrating already human bias. Um, So they found that fist and forefinger were basically the same, and that plus and minus uh, indicators uh, did not really matter, but also said, Basically, more needs to be studied. We need a bigger group of people. This isn't the end. And so then uh, Fraser Polk has sent out a bunch of blade hardness gauges to a number of folks out there. And we're compiling a data set on snowpilot.org. Uh, snowpilot.org is a great website that lets you help input snow profiles, and then you get a nice computer output of that snow profile. And uh, that database, unfortunately, even though it started two years ago, has primarily been filled by myself. There are definitely a few other folks uh, out there around BC that have inputted uh, some. But uh, unfortunately, it's not quite as many as I'm sure Fraser would have liked. So we're still getting uh, data from all around BC, but, uh, it seems that I now have quite a large data set just after my first field season.
1: You know, listening to you explain the blade hardness gauge and, and, I first heard about it several years ago, listening to a talk by Dr. Chris Borstad, um, at a regional snow and avalanche workshop. And I was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. It seems like everybody should be using this. And so what are your thoughts on, on why, more people are not. And and is there, are we just waiting for better data sets and better conclusive data? Um, I mean, it seems like a no brainer that this would level the playing field a little bit, take the human biases, as, as you say, out of the equation. I think
0: you nailed it right there. I think it, we still just need more conclusive data. And I also the thing is since the hand hardness tests came out in 1950 so many people know it i know it's a standard here in canada i believe it's a standard down there in the states I know europe doesn't use it a whole lot they kind of have much more automated system but uh here in canada it really is a standard so when you've had the folks that have been doing this for 20 30 40 years to then kind of like give them the new technology i feel there's always hesitancy with new technologies and one one pe- some people might say that it is like i don't want people to stop touching snow i think there's a lot you can get from you know having that feel of snow. You know, I've been only backcountry skiing for 10 years and I feel every single year I'm learning more and more. And every single day I dig a pit or am ski touring or with friends or out sledding when you're touching the snow. It is very useful. But this blade hardness gauge can bring us to that more equal point for all technicians and i really do see it as becoming a potentially new standard not necessarily just yet for like recreationalists i don't really see recreationalists just picking one up and going around and poking snow with it but seeing industry start to use it you know when the ski hill or backcountry ski operations are doing their weekly profiles and want to view the hardness over time Another thing is design. This is kind of now I guess the second iteration of the blade hardness gauge. One thing that would r- probably really be nice, almost everything these days has is bluetooth compatible, you know. <laughs> I have coworkers that have bluetooth compatible heated socks and with the press of a button their socks get warmer. It would potentially be nice to have this linked up with an application. So instead of um, having to write down the numbers, I'm sure the list some of the listeners know it's not always that fun writing in the snow. <laughs> even though you have a pencil and gloves, it's uh, not always the best time to write. So maybe it would be nice to have an application, and then every single measurement is recorded right away and that also would take out some user error and yes there still just hasn't been a ton of research on it and right now i don't feel comfortable being able to be like okay using the blade hardness gauge and be like that is definitely fist or that is definitely one finger because i still feel there's more data to get more numbers to look at, more correlations, and really more stats to do. So I feel that's the main reason. One other reason will also be, you know, the, it's a device, it's technical piece of equipment, so we will have an added cost. So if avalanche technicians want to have that added cost, Maybe there's some pushback against that. And that's one of the reasons I also see it maybe coming in first as an industrial use. You know, the ski hill doesn't need every single technician to have one. But if the ski hill has two or three or Parks Canada has two or three, you know, the different heli ski, cat ski operations have a couple. Then they can kind of use them in those weekly profiles and find a way to use it.
1: Right. Yeah. I really like your point of, of kind of maybe using it in conjunction with hand harness tests. And it sounds like you've been doing a lot of that in your research. Um, I think all of us have a great appreciation for digging in the snow and feeling the snow, just even just with our shovel blade and then our hands. Um, I know I do. And so, you know, I, I was introduced to the, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the avatech probe the sp1 a while back Jeez, i don't know maybe eight or so years ago now that came out and and uh seemingly great technology that was gonna essentially give you a snow profile just with the insertion of a probe into the snowpack um and and i used it a bit and i think it it had some great attributes but i also wanted to dig down into the snow and so i you know i don't think that we'll ever really throw the baby out with the bath water, so to speak. Um, but it seems like this has some really great attributes to it. One question I have is like the the blade is way thinner than my fist. And so if I'm inserting my fist into the snow and then the blade into the snow, how can this be comparable? Well
0: so yes. Fist, four fingers, one finger, they're all different sizes. Mm-hmm. So right there, there's kind of some comparison that's falling off already. You know, you're just getting different surface area with the blade hardness gauge. It's keeping the surface area at the same point every single time, but there will still be resistance from the snow. So it isn't necessarily a straight comparison of yeah, fist versus the blade, because there is a significant difference in surface area. But by having a consistent surface area, and having that thin blade, you can always measure the snowpack. And it doesn't matter what size of layer it is, you know, thin, weak layers can range from a millimeter to 10 centimeters. I don't see you getting your fist or four fingers, or even one finger in a lot of those layers. So quite often, layers are missed, and those are the important ones. So by having that blade hardness, then you get one consistent hardness scale throughout the snowpack versus your glove. And the thing is, once again, another human bias is, what size glove are you using? Mm -hmm. You know, the Canadian Avalanche Association says glove, they say don't use mittens, but like it doesn't say whether it's a, you know, spring pipe glove or a minus 20 thick winter glove. So right away, there's <laughs> going to be inconsistencies even with your own fist, depending on what glove you're using that day.
1: Right. Yeah. And and I remember I, I asked earlier about some other research that's been done that you're aware of. I, I remember I recall hearing about a um, you know, at a earlier ISSW, you know, there, I forget who set it up, but there was a table at the ISSW, you know, and everybody would come up and, and press their fist or their four fingers into this gauge to see exactly how much force they were putting into their hand hardness scale. And, and are you familiar with this test, Peter? I am familiar with that
0: test. And, uh, I'm blanking on the results from that test, but I know that, yeah, like the Canadian Avalanche Association says you put 10 to 15 newtons of force, but I don't know, who knows what 10 to 15 newtons feels like? People then say, oh, it's about the force it feels to feel the cartilage of your nose. Right. But when I've been testing that with different force gauges, I'm finding that is around three to five newtons so mm. that's not even close to 10 to 15.
1: Yeah I'm quite certain that the re- the results from this this experiment at this ISSW with profession you know snow and avalanche professionals from around the world was I think it varied pretty pretty significantly. So talk a little bit about your your methods and and some of the ways that you're um, compiling some of this data and some of the Um, differences in insertion rates and vertical versus horizontal talk about that difference
0: beautiful so yeah my first field season was uh last year the 2020-21 season and i felt i was really yeah testing the kind of reliability and integrity of the blade hardness gauge in relation to measuring snow hardness one of the first things i was looking at was the insertion rate of the blade into the snow. And so one thing I was doing was basically pairs of measurements and w- what I termed for the insertion weight was fast versus slow. Fast being approximately 10 centimeters per second insertion, slow being noticeably slower going around one to three centimeters per second and doing pairs of measurements in all varieties of uh, snow hardnesses and densities. And what I found was that the fast and slow are statistically different, but then I wanted to see what is more consistent. So I was doing trials of 10 fast measurements versus 10 slow measurements in homogeneous layers of snow. And I found that the fast insertion rate is significantly more consistent. What was happening is if you put the blade in really slowly, what was going on was it was actually condensing or compacting the snow against the blade itself. And so then it would skew the numbers and give quite a bit higher hardness values than Mm. it actually was. So if you just did a nice consistent insertion rate, it was a lot more consistent, which is what we would like to see when uh, taking measurements. Another pretty basic one I did was literally just the replication. So this uh, these blade hardness gauges are being made uh, by Fraser Pogue, uh, Fraser Instruments Limited. And I wanted to see if the manufacturer were producing good gauges that were consistent with one another. So once again, I was kind of just doing pairs of measurements in different uh, snowpacks. I had 678 pairs of measurements of two different gauges and as expected, but it was really nice to see the data supports the replication. So the manufacturer is making good products that are consistent with one another. Another big thing I checked was blade hardness versus density. So snow hardness is the measure of resistance to the penetration by an object while density is a definite measurement. Definite measurement being density equals mass over volume. So for the listeners out there that haven't dug a snow pit in a while, one characteristic you can measure from the snowpack is the density. And usually what you do is you have a about a 100 milliliter or 100 cubic centimeter metal cylinder. You f- put that into the snow, pull it out, make sure it's perfect, and then you weigh it. And then you actually have mass over volume and you get a density of the snow. And so I was doing, once again, pairs of measurements of the blade hardness versus density. And what I really like there is the data shows strong correlation between the two. Now, correlation does not mean causation. We can't just say it is definitely this. But the strong correlation really is promising. As you do get into the higher densities, there definitely is a spread. And one thing I am hoping to get more data for this season is more types of snow grains. I feel last year I primarily had uh facets and rounding facets, didn't spend any time on the coast last year, so maybe it'd be good time to get out there for a week or two this season, visit my brother and get a lot of density measurements and see if there is a statistical difference between rounded grains and faceted grains. But that strong correlation between the two really makes me think that we could potentially stop taking density measurements one day because the density measurements taking that sample of snow can be (laughs) really frustrating and also once again you can't take the density of those thin weak layers there's just not enough area to grab the snow from (sighs) then I also was looking at horizontal versus vertical measurements. So as a lot of folks know, if it dumps 30 centimeters overnight, you're going to have a much more homogenous layer of snow. So maybe what would be nice is if you use the blade vertically, you could then get 10 centimeters of hardness at a time. Versus going horizontally where you really get that like one little layer. Mm. I was kind of exploring this to hopefully make these measurements go faster. You know one thing, people want to be efficient in their snow pits. They don't want just another time waster. So if we could make these vertical measurements as well, it could potentially save time. My data from the 2021 season you know, I had about 103 horizontal versus vertical measurements, and I see promise in it, but I feel there is a bit of a gap in my data in certain densities. So I do need to continue that research this season. I definitely don't want to say that it's definitely perfect, but it is, sh- once again, showing a strong correlation between the two. So in those more homogeneous layers, it looks like we will be able to use those vertical measurements.
1: Right on. So what what do you have in store for this coming winter and, and extending some of the research further?
0: So one uh, thing for sure is exploring the blade hardness versus hand hardness. Um, the hand hardness test, as I said, it's been around since 1950. And last year, I was exploring that as well. You know, I currently have 30 hand hardness profiles from 20 avalanche technicians, so I hope to double that. I actually got two hand hardness profiles from a couple different avalanche technicians just the other day. And I'm really looking at kind of the overlap of the blade hardness gauge measurements to really illustrate the human biases. Right now, um, one of the things I'm kind of looking at is, should we be getting rid of the four finger criteria? What I've been finding with my data set is different avalanche technicians are actually good with the plus-minus indicators for fist, one-finger, pencil, and knife, but the forefinger is all statistically the same, and the, it's overlapped by the fist and the one-finger. So right there, that could potentially be potentially shaved off. Another thing I was finding was doing side-by-side profiles. When you include the plus-minus indicators, we were only getting 45%. Basically, our avalanche technicians were failing at actually corresponding with one another, while we got up to 67% if we excluded those plus-minus indicators. So Basically, I want a lot more hand hardness profiles so I can really dig into the stats and see the different consistencies and inconsistencies of the hand hardness test. And I'm also going to kind of look at uh, the experience of the avalanche technicians, level one versus level two versus professional members versus active members. There's lots of different stuff there. So that is definitely a continuation for this season. But then my big goal for this year is to really do a ton of extended column tests and propagation saw tests and see if we can relate those results to the blade hardness gauge The big thing the standout point about this blade hardness gauge is this is the first device where we can actually measure the hardness of a thin buried weak layer so, Say there's a thin buried weak layer, we do that extended column test. What I can do with the blade hardness gauge is find the hardness of the slab, the weak layer, and the bed surface, and then see if there's a relation between the hardness of those three, the uh, slab, weak layer, and bed surface, in relation to the results of the extended column test, basically the number of taps, the hardness of the taps, or with the propagation saw test, seeing that critical length. Because if we can find that, that could then potentially in the future really help determine avalanche size and help forecast. We would have a tool that could measure the hardness and potentially predict avalanche size, which would be amazing. So that's really met the main goals of this season. So kind of continue the work with the density, horizontal vertical and hand hardness, and then really dive deep into extended column tests, propagation saw tests, and also potentially see how the blade hardness gauge can be used as a teaching tool. I'm uh, currently in talks with uh, some folks from the Canadian Avalanche Association and will hopefully be helping out on some level one courses and getting some students to help take part of this research to see if using the blade hardness gauge can potentially even just help get students getting introduced to the hand hardness test become more consistent faster.
1: Just kind of calibrating it out a little bit, eh? Exactly. Uh Peter you, you mentioned earlier about some of the discrepancies in technicians um hand hardness in regards to plus and minus a certain hand hardness and are, when you're looking at these profiles or did all of these technicians also have the blade hardness gauge I'm I'm just a little bit confused as to how you could um identify that they were misusing a plus minus hand hardness so the couple
0: couple things here for last season, I was in, when I was getting the hand hardness profiles of different avalanche technicians, I was the only one using the blade hardness gauge, so it was a consistent measurement that I could then kind of relate those blade hardness measurements versus the different hardness measurements. And then
1: so you're in the same same pit as them.
0: Same pit. Okay. Exactly. Got it. And and then when I did the side by side comparisons, what I would do was I basically, I dug the pit, found the different layers, took the blade hardness values, and then I brought an Avalanche technician in, got their hand hardness profiles of the different layers. And then, once they were gone, I would call another avalanche technician in, so they didn't see what the person before them had done I'd basically uh use the shovel to like make a brand new surface for them to use, and then I would get them to use the do the hand hardness test, and then I was able to compare basically two folks in the same pit.
1: I was probably doing a great job of helping to calibrate the kicking horse ski patrol. Uh, in terms of their <laughs> it, hand hardness,
0: it is. And, uh, yeah, I'm definitely very, very grateful for, uh, the kicking horse ski patrol because, uh, you know, this, this data like really wouldn't matter. Nobody wants to see, you know, 30 profiles of just mine,
1: mm-hmm. like
0: just me, right. You, you want to get an average of the technician. And so that is going to potentially be a bias because, my data is primarily at Kicking Horse Mountain Resort, which mm. is in the Purcell Mountains, and as I am, you know, going other places, it is specific, definitely to the Purcell Mountain Range, specifically the Dogtooth Range.
1: So, is there room for collaboration with with some other folks in, in other areas? And would there be the bandwidth to to have that brought on?
0: I think there definitely is, and one way we um, or one way Fraser Polk has definitely been addressing that is trying to send these blade hardness gauges out to different folks in the industry, whether we're, they're working ministry of transportation, parks, Canada, different ski patrols. Unfortunately, I just don't see much of an uptick in them. And then, but I definitely could see it's basically just how busy I want to be this season. Um, but I definitely luckily have friends all over this province, whether they're ski patrollers or ACMG guides living in different places. So I have been able to get out. And last year I spent a number of days at, uh, the big white, uh, ski area, which is outside of Kelowna, BC and got a few patrollers there. And so there, there's definitely a possibility for that. It's also just, yeah the amount of uh, energy and the amount of driving I want to do.
1: Yeah. You got to be careful what you ask for there. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, Well, it's, it's super exciting to hear about kind of the correlations that you're hoping to make between um, slab weak layer and bed surface hardness and being able to better forecast for size of avalanche, right? Is there, is there some research that you know of that's already been done concerning that? And and are you kind of tagging onto that?
0: Well, it has been basically shown through like different research from not necessarily with the blade hardness gauge that like, Mm -hmm. as the hardness increases, the avalanche size increases with it, you know, like when you're getting those Big slab avalanches later in the season, you know, the when they are like more than a meter deep, those deep like right above that weak layer can be quite hard, and so it has that capacity to like propagate out further. So I think there is definite potential for that um, in relation to fracture mechanics, yeah. and this is something I'm definitely interested in pursuing more about.
1: Well, Peter, it sounds like you've been doing some, some great research here, um, both for your master's project, but also for the greater Snow and Avalanche community. Um, and I was just wondering if there's any other acknowledgments you'd like to make of, of partners in your research.
0: This, this research project definitely, Cannot be done with just myself. Um, I first have to thank my uh, MSc committee at Thompson Rivers University, which includes Dr. Mark Piatko, Dr. Ian Stewart-Patterson, and Dr. Richard Taylor. And a huge, huge thanks to the Kicking Mountain safety team. They are the folks who keep us safe and they are a great crew and they've been awesome at helping me with this research also to uh, other friends that i have that i've convinced to dig with me instead of just skiing pow Uh, and then avalanche canada foundation without them this research also wouldn't be possible because they are helping fund this project so big thanks to avalanche canada foundation and then friends and family for just supporting this cause and uh, making this happen. It is, this research is going towards my uh, master's of science, but I'm very excited to share all this research with the avalanche community, with the Canadian Avalanche Association. And unfortunately this fall it didn't happen, but I look forward to presenting this data in Bend, Oregon at the ISSW in 2023. That'll be a great way to meet some awesome folks in the snow science world and share some data.
1: Peter, would it be okay to, to put your contact in the show notes if people want to reach out to you personally?
0: Yeah, that would uh that would be
1: fine. Maybe we'll also include where people could contact Fraser Pogue Industries. Are these blade hardness gauges available?
0: They aren't fully available. He might still have a couple kicking around, but uh, I did talk to Frazier and I do have an email address that uh, we can give to the folks for anybody that's really interested in uh, picking one of these up and playing with them.
1: Awesome. We will certainly put that in the show notes. So check that out if you want to get in touch with Peter to learn more about his research project. Well, we really appreciate you coming on the show today, Peter, and talking about your research around the blade hardness gauge
0: well i really appreciate this uh opportunity caleb Uh, i've been listening to your podcast for a number of years now and i'm very very happy to be a part of it so thank you thank you
1: yeah you bet have a great winter out there stay safe you as well enjoy the pile cheers Well, thanks everybody for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Peter. Um, I've included in the show notes a contact for Peter if you want to find out more, as well as a link to the website um, of where they are producing the blade hardness gauge through Frasier Instruments. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to subscribe rate and review the podcast on whatever podcast platform you're listening to it on. Don't forget to follow us on the social medias. We are at The Avalanche Hour Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And there you can find out about all of our newest releases of episodes as they come out. Our artwork was created by Mike T. You man, T. Check out more of Mike T's work at his website, mike t m i k e t e a dot com. Musical credit for today is given to Ketza. You can find more of Ketza's tracks on Ketsa.uk. If you've got any feedback for the show, you can send comments, concerns, questions, ideas to the Avalanche Hour podcast at gmail.com. If you've really been enjoying the show and you want to help us out by donating some some money, you can find a donate button on the website www.theavalanchehour.com Make sure you tune in to our next episode on February 15th when Dom Baker has a great episode about Avalanche Control 101 techniques and technology used in the North American avalanche industry. We've gotten several um inquiries into into some techniques that's used in avalanche control or avalanche mitigation methods and so um i'm sure dom's gonna do a great job of diving in with this with with his guest until next time stay tuned stay safe and keep having fun out there cheers